Hey, it's Kelly Beach here. Along with my weekly recordings, at the end of each month, I'm going to be giving you a bonus episode. This month's bonus episode is an interview I did with Mike Lemke back in the spring. In the spring, I met with local artists from Colorado and interviewed them about their artistic process. I then provided these interviews to my students so they could kind of see what it's like to be a working artist and some of the things that they go through on a daily basis. Not only is Mike a working potter, he's a professor at UNC. It's been fun to get to know Mike over the years. I hope you enjoy. So Mike, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I, uh, I'm an art teacher. I teach at University of Northern Colorado. And before that, I taught high school for a couple of years. And I'm also, I have a master's degree at fine arts in ceramics specifically. So I'm kind of a part-time, full-time professional artist. I think I'm a, an artist in the summer and a teacher during uh, the other nine months. I was born in Wisconsin and then my, my dad worked for the government, so I moved kind of all over the place. And my uncle actually has two master's degrees and one of them is in ceramics. The other one's in painting, so I kind of grew up watching him make pots. That's me, I guess. Great. Uh, what kind of got you into art? You mentioned family background, but is there anything else that really kind of drove you to the arts? You know, I had I have a family background with my uncle, and I think you know my mom is a she's a she's an incredibly good cook. Um, I think that uh, I think that's a really creative thing, and uh, she's also really into the presentation and setting the dinnerware sets out and having fancy dishes and having everything presented in a certain way, which I think is kind of part of my connection to pottery is just kind of growing up with, with a certain kind of aesthetic that has to do with pottery. I went to college to become a business major though, but I took another art class and I kept on going home and talking about my art class with my dad, my art history class and, um, my ceramics class, and he said, so why are you a business major? <laughs> and I, I think my answer was something like, I kind of thought that's what you wanted me to do. And he told me that doing something because someone else wanted you to do it or because you thought it would make money was stupid and that you should go with what you're passionate with because what you, you're at work most of your life, so you might as well enjoy it and whatever monetary thing that needs to happen later will happen if you're passionate about it. So I went with making things and teaching people to make things. And I think, you know, a lot of what I do while I'm making stuff is about teaching people. So I, I don't think I would be an artist without having students around. So it's like a kind of a symbiotic relationship with one another. Did you have much of a art, interest in elementary, middle, high, or was this more just found in college? In elementary school, I don't think, I don't remember being super into it. I always made things. I was always in the garage taking things apart, putting them together. And then as I got older in junior high, I was making skateboard ramps and things like that. I did take an art class. We had to take an art class and then a cooking class and a sewing class and things in junior high. Then I started getting into photography and ceramics in high school. I think at one point I wanted to be a, a photographer and I think that had more to do with my, uh, the teacher, the photography teacher than it had to do with anything else. 
And then when I got to college, I got more interested in it. So I was always interested in creating, but not necessarily thinking of myself as an artist. You and I have very similar backgrounds. My sister was always the artistic one growing up through elementary, middle school. I took an art class and a orchestra class in middle school. Yeah, we had, you know, already locked into orchestra, so I didn't take art in middle school. I'm perpetually a middle school art teacher now, so it's kind of funny how that worked out. And then it was uh, my video professor, or my video teacher in high school that really hooked me. And then I moved into college. Once I realized that video school was going to cost me the same amount as four years at UNC for a semester at the SCAD, I was like, uh, all right, we're going to go this route. And I thought I wanted to be an elementary art teacher or just an elementary teacher. And then it was the same kind of thing. Got into the art classes, was more passionate about that, so made the switch. I think teaching elementary school would be, I think it would be a lot of fun. But It was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, if I was ever having a bad day, I could hop into a kindergarten lunchroom, and I was the most <laughs> popular person on the planet. Mr. Beach! And it would just immediately kind of cheer you up. Yeah. And the only guy in the building, probably. Yeah, uh, there were a few of us, but not many. That was for sure. As an artist, I know something you kind of moved more into later in life, but what are some challenges or struggles that you've faced? Right out of grad school, you know, I got really lucky. Right out of grad school, I was hired by a potter that you know, had six or eight employees, and she kind of taught me how to be a pottery business, which I was really lucky. And then after a couple of years, three years of that, I, I ventured out on my own, and then 9-11 um, uh, happened. So people didn't want to buy pottery from craft fairs and things for a while. So I had to do a lot of things to kind of make ends meet for that. I did, I worked for Home Depot building grills. I was an advertising photographer for a while. So I think, you know, just kind of figuring out like one month you could sell more, more work than you could possibly make. And then the next month, completely cricket, so trying to balance, figure out a budget and how to live with that. The other thing while I was doing that is, you know, I was kind of probably not working smart. And I, my body was starting to really, you know, I was only in my 20s and my body started to hurt. I had a back issues and wrist issues. And so, you know, I had to kind of train myself how to work smart and do different activities throughout the day rather than just sit and do one thing all day and then the next do another one. So, you know, the financial thing and then just the taking care of my, my physical well-being part and also working for myself, separating my home life and my business life since my business was at home was really weird. So, I, you know, I was working at weird times of the day and every day. And so setting time aside to have do something other than just work was a challenge for me, trying to figure out that home life mental health balance um, yeah i could see that that's something as a teacher i struggle with too you know answering emails at oh. home prepping stuff it, it's really easy for work to spill into that home life and making that balance is super important yeah I, you know one of my um one of my college professors my ceramics professor in college i think one of the most intelligent things he ever 
taught me was, or told me was, you know, if you go into teaching, it's not a job. It's a comprehensive way of life. So you got to figure out how to, how to do that and be happy with it. Because if you, if you can't figure out how to balance it and be happy with that being your lifestyle, you're not going to enjoy teaching. So, you know, I think that's, that's something being a teacher is like being an artist slash being a manager of people. So it's, it's very similar. Teaching is very similar. I think that the pace of it is similar to being a full-time artist. Yeah. So I'd agree with that. Can you tell us a little bit about your process, how you, when you're in your studio working, what are some things that go on daily? So it depends on, depends on the time of year, obviously. So I try to set aside three or four hours on Fridays. I try to make sure I get everything that I need to get done so I can work on Fridays um, in the studio. And that's just kind of set myself up to be an artist on the weekends. So those days I will um, mix glazes. So I'll be in the glaze lab weighing things out or I'll wedge clay, um, do some drawings to get ready for the next week of, of making or I'll just sit down and throw. It depends on the week, but I will try to set that time aside to do it during the school year. And then weekends or summers, I try to separate my day out. If I work in the studio for say six hours, I'll try to throw for two hours. I'll try to do decorating or finishing things for two hours. And then I'll try to do stuff in the glaze lab or loading kilns for two hours. So I'm doing separate things. But there's always a balance between making thinking about what you're making and planning it, and then the actual act of like finishing it, loading the kilns, unloading the kilns, fixing the kilns, mixing glazes, things like that. So I try not to do one thing for a whole bunch of hours at once. Yeah, that goes back to that body balance and taking yeah. care of yourself. And then there's the, you know, I always also try to, in that, I try to take, if I am gonna throw for two hours, I'll try to know what I'm gonna throw for an hour and 45 minutes of it. And then I'll just take a piece of clay and do something weird with it that I don't intend on ever finishing or following through with, but just something I want to experiment with or think about. And that's kind of like a mental health thing too. Cause if you're getting ready for a craft show, I might have to make 50 or 60 mugs for it. And a mug from beginning to end probably takes about an hour. You start to feel a little bit like you work at McDonald's and you're flipping hamburgers all day long. So it's nice to be, have something in your brain where you're thinking about how can I do this differently or what would happen if. So I was trying to do a little bit of that. And when I'm glazing, I always try to try a different glaze combination or applying the glaze in a way that I don't usually, knowing full well that it might not work, but if it does, it can be a happy accident that I experiment with later, respond to later. Other than that uh, kind of play experimental time what other inspirations uh influence your making this sounds funny probably but i i play around on instagram constantly and i i'm trying to find artists that make work that for some reason just speaks to me like right away i, I really enjoy that work and then i try to figure out why why i enjoy that work and i will go to their website or i'll find out who they're following and start searching the five or six people that respond to their work a lot to try to get kind of the, to the root. So that, so that that's kind of how I you know extend what I'm looking at, I guess. Sometimes some of those people end up becoming friends in the long term, just exchanging messages. The other 
kind of thing that often I find inspires me or gets me to think differently is questions from students. Like, how did this person do this? And it'll open a whole rabbit hole of experimentation for me so I can figure out a student will have something really intelligent and a different way of looking at like my work. I like to have them critique my work for me, especially the advanced students. And they'll say something and I'll, I'll kind of go down that rabbit hole with they've noticed something about my work that I never even thought of. So talking to people in general, I think it educates them a little bit, but it also just as much any day of the week helps me a lot when I'm talking, just talking to people about it. Off the top of your head, are there any artists uh, that you're currently interested in or following that have kind of influenced your work? Jen Allen is a, is a person that I, I really enjoy her work a lot. And, and I think in the past few years, she's, her work has influenced how I've thought about mine a lot, especially she makes the nicest handles in the world. And then the last, the next, the last six months or so, she stopped working in porcelain and started working in a really dark stoneware. And it's been interesting to kind of watch how she's solved all kinds of problems and how her work has changed just because of the uh, way the clay works and looks. And then there's another guy, um, can you remember his name? His name on Instagram, his name is 945, like the number nine, mm-hmm. and then the word four, and then the letter five, um, or the number five. His work's just really tight. His handles look like, look like they're like on a, piece of fine china or pewter or something like that. They don't look like they're made by a human being. And then the surface is like graffiti. So there's a really interesting contrast of this really tight areas that look like it couldn't possibly have been man-made that he's doing. And then five or six different processes on the surface that make it look like it's street art. So it's just an interesting contrast of, of ways working. But even the street art is done really tight, but it looks like street art. And he's about my age and he has kids about my age and things. I think there's, you know, there's kind of an, like I see him working in a studio. He does lots of live videos and things. And it, I can just sort of see my life if it was slightly different if I was a full-time artist. Those are the ones that I can think of right now. I'll have to definitely check those two out, uh, especially that 945. His work sounds really interesting. And that's, you know, a... Uh, a student a couple of years ago showed me his work. And then, you know, like six months later, after I liked a few of his things, he started following me on Instagram, which I, I judge myself based on the quality of the people that follow me sometimes. So I was really excited when he started following me and, and saying things he liked about my work. So that kind of, you know, being an artist sometimes is sort of lonely. Often you're doing it by yourself and it's kind of nice to have those relationships or see people that are in your situation. So that relationship's been kind of cool. That's awesome. Thinking about young students, I work specifically with middle school students. They're starting to find their way. They're starting to find their media, uh, their style. What would be some advice you'd give somebody who's just starting out in the art or even your students? Yeah, you know, I think, I don't think my students and your students are that much different in a way. Like, their years are teenagers and mine are, you know, in their early 20s or at the oldest. But the more I, the older I get, the more I realize what I was thinking about when I was 
10, 11, 12, 13 is I, I've got the same voice in my head. So, so sort of listen to your voice and trust it. I have the same, it's the same person in my head as when I was 12 years old. It's kind of amazing. And, you know, my dad told, said the same thing to me a few years ago, and I didn't quite connect with it until now. And I think it's kind of an age thing where I'm thinking about that a little bit more, but it really is the same person in your head. And you know, I can't remember, there's another artist, I'm trying to think of his name, that I read his artist statement, and it's all about building ramps for his bike, for his dirt bike. And the process that he went through building like dirt ramps and wooden ramps and combining the two in his workbooks really piled up with a lot of different techniques. And it's, but it's all memories from when he was a kid growing up. So, you know, allow yourself what your interests to, to develop and don't think like just because I'm 12 years old, this isn't real. Um, or just cause I'm 18 years old, this interest isn't real because it, it is. Um, so your emotions, your interests, the context of what's around you, you know, allow that to be important to yourself. Growing up and my mom set the table really nice for dinner has affected my interaction with clay. You know, I don't do sculptural work very often. I do functional utilitarian things for people to hold and use. And I think that's because of my mom when, you know, when I was growing up. So allow that allow those things to happen. Don't hide from them, I guess would be my the moral to that story. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Ceramics in particular is not something that you can just sit down and be a master of. It takes lots of hours and time to develop that, to pull a cylinder as high as you're pulling those has taken hours. Uh, to get good at that. And that's something I see a lot of people are maybe missing now. I don't know if there's been a shift in society with instant gratification and stuff, but what does it take in your eyes to really get the training or the dedication to put in those hours? That's a really interesting topic, I think. And I think that, you know, we have, you know, I have a phone sitting over here that, or I have a computer sitting next to my laptop over here that is also a uh, phone. And you can get information really quickly. There's a difference between information and knowledge. And I think that's what people sometimes forget. But at the same time, you can take care, take advantage of that information because I can, you know, I can look up YouTube videos of how to do anything. So you could get better at things faster because that information is there. But there's there's no substitute for spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the studio um, obsessing about what you're doing. I think my first semester in college, we were at, one of the assignments was make 10 mugs or something. And I think I brought 150 mugs to the critique. And I don't think they were particularly good, but it sure sparked the attention of the people around me, including my teacher. I got really skilled in a short period of time because I was spending a lot of time in the studio. So I think whatever you're doing, you have to be kind of insane about. If you have to just say, okay, if I'm going to be at the studio, I'm going to be at the studio and that's my life. So that's where the, you better enjoy what you're doing. Right. If you're a scientist, you better enjoy doing that. Or if you want to be, you know, do something with math, you better want to work with math and 
want to be able to play with solving those problems and think that way. And it all just takes time to develop the skill. And I think I spent, I remember when I started dating my wife, she would bring me dinner at the studio because I'd been there for eight or nine hours in a row. And that's where she was going to see me. And I think she accepted that. That's, that was going to be me. And it's not because I'm trying to push myself or do something. It's not forced. Sometimes going to the studio is forced, but not leaving isn't forced. But to be able to say, I want to make a mug that's this tall and this skinny and so on and so forth, you have to have the skill developed to be able to do it. I can't just imagine and talk about this mug that I want to make because it's not real yet. So there's, there's the idea generation too, and then there's the skill that goes along with it. So just being in the studio and be crazy is important <laughs> and try things. I think the biggest thing I had going against me when I was starting is I was too good a student and I wanted to regurgitate what the professor was doing. And it took me a long time to kind of unlearn some of that. And I've done that through experimentation and being crazy in the studio again. When you're prepping for shows or when you're in that ideation phase, do you sketch? Do you compile images? How do you portray that ideation, I guess? Or how do you manifest it outside of your head? It, it changes from year to year. I always sketch, though. And I would not say that I'm a natural drawer. It's not something that I do, in my opinion, particularly well but I can get proportions and ideas so I can think about them later across. So I sketch a lot. I also have images of work that I like around me that sometimes I get the ideas directly or indirectly from. Sometimes it's the glaze on the piece or it reminds me of something. I also keep those experiments around. I almost never finish them, but I keep those experiments around because there's one little spot on the foot or the one little way I poke the piece that I like really well. And I'll try to keep, keep that. And then I, I, I make a set of rules for myself that I have to follow. Sometimes it starts out with something as simple as everything has to have, nothing can be round. It all has to have some sort of squared off edge or the next rule will be, well, it has to have three different decoration techniques on it. And then I have to solve that problem for myself. And then I'll, another rule that I use a lot is I have to affect the surface of the clay at every stage. So when I'm throwing, I have to affect the, the surface. And then when it's leather hard, I have to do it, something to it. And then when it's bone dry, I have to do something to it. And then when it comes out of the kiln, I have to do something different to it. Like, add another glaze and fire it again, or put in another kiln and fire again, or sandblast through it so you can see the surface of it. And that all, I think all that kind of goes back to like the teaching thing. You know, I want, I want a piece that I make to be able to describe the entire process. So when you're holding on to one piece, you could describe what was happening. And then the conceptual part about that would be like, the reason I like clay is, I love to sit down and just center a ball of clay and that feeling that that the media gives me, that the immediate gratification and the feeling and things, I want that to be portrayed in the finish of the piece. So I put a lot of a lot of dots on things and I decorate the bottoms of pots and I want the end user to be able to kind of feel what I was feeling when I was making it. So, you know, that's 
kind of the conceptual idea behind all of it. And then I just try to manifest that differently with each kind of group of work. So I'll just make up a set of rules for myself based on drawings and the drawings help me go through the ideas faster. I love that idea of setting up your own rules and kind of pushing yourself to try new things. I think that's something that can translate to any media, not just ceramics. Ceramics is a really good metaphor for, for life. It acts a lot like life does sometimes, and it doesn't always work out right, which doesn't mean you quit or give up. So, and I think that's one of the things I like about clay over, for me, over other media is it, it just relates to everyday life for me.